Before we read God's word, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is indeed a blessing that we can come together in such large number to worship thee. We thank thee for thy protection in this week. We thank thee for thy blessings, thy innumerable blessings to each of thy people. Lord God, we would pray this evening that thy word would go out, that it would be a blessing to those who hear it, that it would not be from this servant, but it would be from thee. Please help us do that, and we would thank you for it. We pray for those at home, for our families, for our churches. We know thou art present with them as thou art present with us. Please provide them a blessing. Now, Lord God, we would pray for our government, for our president. Keep him in safety. Watch over him. Keep his family. Keep those in authority. We would pray, O oh God, that he would look in thy word for the answers to the problems that plague this nation and this world, that he would rely upon thee and thy word, and we would lift him up to thee. We would pray for thy people Israel, O Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem, in your time, in your way, keep your people and turn them, turn them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For we would thank thee in his name. Amen. The question is, whom shall I fear? That's the question that we're asking this week. Whom shall I fear? But the question is also, whom do I fear? Because I think we know who we should fear. We should fear the God that created this universe. That's who we should fear. But whom do we fear? Do we fear man? Do we fear Satan? Or do we, in fact, fear God? That's the question we need to ask each day. Whom do we fear? Whom should we fear? And I'd just like to ask the indulgence of the Mansfield, or some of this may be old information, but just as the topic presents, I think this is necessary that we go over these things. So I'd like to read chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, chapter 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged a great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God, that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. 
and to her was arrayed that she should be arrayed, granted, I'm sorry, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are caught unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. the rider on the white horse, Jesus Christ, at the end of time. So, who should we fear and who do we fear? And I think for many of us, and for much of the world, much of the country, we fear man and what man can do and what man says and what man thinks. And we can take a poll, what do we fear? Well, we fear terrorism. We feel economic problems. We fear nuclear war. We fear becoming homeless, whatever it is. But where on those lists do you ever see, we fear God? Is it on there ever, anywhere, at the bottom of the list, anywhere, that we fear God? No, we fear what man does and what man can do. And we're soft. We're a soft country. We have it good. Things are easy, and we may complain, but in fact, in actuality, things have never been easier. Things have not been better. And we have it good. And we're soft. And we don't know who to fear. Do we fear man or do we fear God? You know, when was the last time, the last time we had a fear, a real war? 
We can say, well, you know, I was around during the Gulf War. Wasn't that a real war? Yeah, war is war. But 100 casualties, is that war? Not in the biblical sense. You say Vietnam. Well, that was a war that occupied a lot of people, but I don't think the country was behind it. You say World War II, World War I, we're getting closer. Those were real times of struggle, and people feared, and people worked together. But now, we're soft, and who do we fear? Man or God? And I think we have to understand the judgment, the power of the judgment of God on people, on nations, and what he can do, and that we fear that power. Jesus said in Matthew, talking about what would happen to Jerusalem not too many years after he died. Matthew chapter 23, end of the chapter, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. The judgment of God was coming on Jerusalem. And in A.D. 70, that judgment was fulfilled. And there was war and there was death. And there was destruction that most of us don't know about can't think about and we gloss over it and we say yes 70 AD Jerusalem was destroyed and on we go well how was that destruction Jeremiah the prophet chapter 19 beginning with verse 6 therefore behold the days come saith the Lord that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the counts of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of them that seek their lives. And their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone that patheth thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of all the plagues thereof. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they shall eat every one the flesh of his friend in the siege and straightness, or with their enemies. They that seek their lives shall straighten them. That's what happened to Jerusalem. In AD 70, Titus, the Roman general, came with the legions and besieged the city of Jerusalem. And it was a bitter battle. And Jeremiah says what happened. The people fell by the sword, the women, the children, the men, the babies. They were ripped apart, they were torn asunder, and they were left to lay so the birds could eat the bodies. That was war. That was judgment. And we don't know what that is. A siege of the city. And Jeremiah said, they will eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters can you imagine being under siege, having nothing anymore, reduced to eating your son or your daughter, parents, 
Do you think you could ever be reduced to that? Eating the flesh of your son or daughter. This was war. This was war. And we don't know anything about what it was like. The siege, the death, the destruction, cannibalism. Whatever you wanted was there. And the city was flattened by the Romans, as Jesus said, not a stone upon a stone. The Romans destroyed it. Scorched earth. There was nothing there. And then the Romans built a city on top of the rubble for themselves. And what was left of the city of Jerusalem? Only one thing. One wall of that city. The Wailing Wall. Part of the foundation of Herod's temple. That is it. The Wailing Wall is all that was left of God's judgment of the country of Israel. Man performed a judgment, but God ordered it. The judgment of God destroyed the nation of Israel. And after 70 AD, there was no more nation until 1948. They were utterly destroyed. They were dispersed. That was God's judgment. We have to wonder, are we coming under God's judgment? Who do we fear, man or God? If he can do that to his own people, his chosen people, what could he do to us, to America, to Canada, to Mexico, to Europe, whatever? What could he do if that was his judgment on his chosen people? Whom shall we fear? Whom do we fear? The question. And I'm afraid the answer is still we fear man. We don't fear yet the judgment of God. We still fear the judgment of man. Because we live like we fear the judgment of man. What do we want to be like? Who do we want to be like? Do we fear what our neighbors say? You know, what are you doing? What are you dressing? Where are you going? What are you seeing? What are you watching? Who do we fear? What our neighbors think? What the school thinks? What work thinks? Who do we fear? You know, do we have to keep up on the latest entertainment news, on the pop culture, on the clothing trends? Do we have to do that? Because we fear men? Is that where we're at? Maybe. Maybe. And there's the question, and it was on a poster somewhere. You know, if we were convicted, if we were arrested and charged and tried for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Would the court and the jury be able to find enough evidence that, yes, this person's a Christian? Where are we at? Are we fearing men or do we fear God? Do we fear what the neighbors think or do we fear God? You know, there's, there's a battle going on. There's a cultural war, and I think we all should be familiar with that. It's been going on some years, a war between good and evil, between right and wrong, between morality and immorality. And you see it every day. What is right? What is wrong? 
Is homosexuality right? Is it wrong? Is abortion right? Is it wrong? Is partial birth abortion worse than other abortion? And it goes on and on. What is the culture? What is the pop culture doing? And how are we responding? Now, it's easy to say, well, you know, that, that involves politics, and I don't think the Bible says we should get involved in politics, and you know what, we'll just kind of ignore things, go our own way, and eventually it'll be okay, but it won't. It won't. Eventually, what's out there will come in here. What's out there will creep into the church. And it's not politics. Is doing what's right politics? Is standing up for what's moral politics? No. Is doing what's right a problem? No. But what do we like to do? Wait and see what happens until it's too late. It's not politics. It's doing what God wants us to do. Was Jesus being political when he cleansed the temple? Was that politics? I don't think so. I was doing what's right. Are we standing up for what's right? And we may lose the battle. We may not prevail. We don't know what God's plan is. But he wants us to fight the battle for what's right. Because who do we fear? Do we fear man? Do we want to be politically correct or do we fear God? Because if we're going to be politically correct, we're fearing man and not fearing God. You know, the big thing now is the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, the Ten Commandments. And should that be part of the country? Should we allow that? No, you have to go back to some of the founding documents. Look at the Declaration of Independence. What does it say? People, us. We were endowed by our Creator. We have a Creator. The founders of the country established, yes, we have a Creator. And that Creator has endowed us with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No. It's not the government, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats. They haven't endowed us with life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. No, God has given life and freedom. That comes from God. It is not a government function. God has given that. And the founders realized that. And you can argue all you want and say, you know, this country had nothing to do with Judeo-Christian ethics. Just look at some of the founders. Look at their history. Look at their biographies. And rethink your position. Why hasn't our country been judged? Look at all the countries. Who is the lone superpower? The United States. The most powerful nation on earth is still the United States. Why haven't we been judged yet? I don't know, but maybe something our founders did. Maybe something to do with our support of Israel. I don't know. But now, 
The cry is get God out of every segment of the society. Get him out of everything. And if you take God out, what do you have? You have a vacuum. And nature abhors a vacuum. Nature wants to fill that vacuum. And that vacuum will be filled with man and his ideas and secular humanism and anything else you want. Because when you take God out, that vacuum will be filled. So who do we fear, man or God? You know, the, the clause, separation of church and state, the thing behind all these movements. I ask of you, look in the Constitution and see if it's there. You will not find that clause in the Constitution of the United States of America. It is not there. There is no clause specifying separation of church and state. But we have taken God out on the basis of something that isn't there. And you can say, well, that whole argument is silly, you know. This has always been a secular country, and it always will. Was it? Will it? I don't know. But you saw what God judged, how he judged his own people. And if he can judge his own people like that, can he judge a country that gives him up completely? There's no question that he can. The second psalm. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So what do the kings of the earth do? If they take out God, and they take counsel together against the Lord, and say, break the bands of God, we will cast him away. We don't want God, cast him away. And right now God's sitting in heaven and laughing, and saying, I'll have the last laugh because you'll die under my hand and I'll judge you. Who will have the last laugh? God, to a nation that doesn't serve, to a people, to each one of us that doesn't serve him. Who shall we serve and who do we serve is the question. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, 
Jesus is talking and he says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And who can do that but God? Let's figure it out. Can man destroy body and soul? No, he can destroy the body. And he does a pretty good job of it. How about Satan? He can destroy the body. Can he do much with the soul? Not really. God has set bounds around him. Well, who do we need to fear then? God, who can destroy the body and cast the soul in hell. Who do we fear? Who should we fear? You know, sometimes you see the bumper stickers or having in the windows of cars, mostly the younger folk, I think. And it says, fear this. So I look at this little sticker and it says, fear this. Okay, it's a Chevy Cavalier or a Dodge Neon. And I say, now why, why do I need to fear this? Now, if you had a Humvee or something, you could probably drive over me. Yes, I would fear that. But a Chevy Cavalier, you know, maybe I'm missing something here. You know, the younger generation, maybe, if somebody could enlighten me later. But it says, fear this, a car, and a little car at that. See, I don't get it. You know, maybe they put the sticker on the wrong vehicle. But, you know, actually, they ought to put the sticker on the Bible because that's something we can fear and fear God. You know, as Christians, we need to fear God in a, you know, in a reverent kind of way, with reverence and awe. Not a deadly fear, but reverence and awe. But those of us who aren't Christians, who aren't believers in Jesus Christ, I think we need to be a little more panic-stricken. We need to be a little more panic-stricken about this information that God can destroy body and put the soul in hell. Because we're condemned right now in our condition. Unrepentant, we are condemned by God right now. Now, yesterday, Brother Marcus was talking a bit about his experiences in the Washington prison. Well, like Brother Marcus, I work in a prison. Mansfield Correctional Institution, one of Ohio's finer prisons, if I may say so. But what makes us so good and unique is that we have Ohio's death row in our prison. 200 of the finest convicts you can find in our prison, condemned to die by man, by the state of Ohio, condemned to die. And it's interesting to work with these guys, or I should say work on these guys. Last few years, the death penalty has been reinstituted, and Ohio's executed three inmates. And being the forward-looking state they are, they've put the electric chair in the closet, and it's now lethal injection. So our inmate before last who was executed, they obviously get their last meal, and they can order what they want. 
But two weeks before his execution, he had some requests. He said, you know what? And we got this information through the higher-ups. This inmate wants his teeth cleaned and his toenails clipped. Two weeks before his execution. And I said, okay. You know, we'll take care of his teeth and can have somebody else take care of his toes. And so he came in, we cleaned his teeth, sent him on his way, and all the time I was thinking, if I'd been bolder, I would have said, buddy, you've got a problem. You've got two weeks to live and you're worried about your teeth and your toenails. And we realize teeth are important. But in two weeks, you're not going to need those teeth anymore. Don't you think you have something else to do with your two weeks? Two weeks. You know, the state of Ohio would kill his body, would take away his physical life, but his soul would go on to eternity. And I really wanted to ask, you know, you're worried about your teeth and your toenails, but what kind of work are you doing on your soul? You've got two weeks to go. What kind of work are you doing for eternity? Because once the lid of that casket's closed, nobody's going to see your pearly whites anymore. But your soul live on for forever. What work have you done on your soul? And in two weeks, he was gone. And I don't know what happened to his soul. You know, those of us who are unconverted will say, you know, well, that guy was about the dumbest guy you'd ever meet. I mean, that was stupid. Two weeks and he's worried about teeth and toenails? Come on. Anybody with half a brain can see, no, that's the time you worry about your soul. And we say to ourselves, you know, if, if I had two weeks, I'd know what I was doing. I'd get my soul in order. Those of us that are unconverted, two weeks. We'd be smart enough to say, I've got two weeks to get my soul in order. Now, you know what the problem is. You may not have two weeks. You may have two hours, two days. Because we don't know when God's going to put an end to the beating heart. You know, years ago, before I was converted, I used to worry about aneurysms. You know, brain aneurysms, aortic aneurysms, balloons in the blood vessels that can pop at any time and you're dead in a minute. And I used to worry about that. Say, so, you know, here I am, unconverted. I may have an aneurysm I don't know about. I may be gone in a minute if that thing pops. And I'd worry about it. And some of us might have aneurysms right now. Because you know what? The old have to die, but the young can die. And your brain can pop an aneurysm. You may be gone in a minute. Or you may walk out of this hall, fall down the stairs, hit your head, and you'll be a veggie for life. We don't know. So you laugh at somebody who has two weeks, but we got to think maybe we only have two days. You know, at home, they had a drowning in Lake Erie a few weeks ago. Four young people. 
they were out wading in the water and one of their lady friends was out too far and they wanted to go out and get her. Four of them. So they went out there, they're wading along, go out there, and in a minute all four are gone. Four lives snuffed out just like that. Did they have any inkling that would happen? Four people drowned just like that. No, there's no guarantee. Our inmate had two weeks. We might have two days. So what are we going to do? Who do we fear? And who shall we fear? Do we fear what men and women think and do and say? That we won't be embarrassed or ashamed? Or do we fear God? Are we a respecter of man? Or do we respect God? And you say, okay. Okay, I've got fear now. I'm afraid. I fear God. You say, that's a good start. In Proverbs... Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. So you say, okay, I hear you. I fear God now. What do I do? And too many of us stop right there and say, yeah, I fear God. But what are we going to do? In chapter... Chapter 9, verse 10, again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. We fear God. Now, yesterday, where Phil talked about the smoke, there's smoke on the banner. And you know the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And what does the Bible say? We read it. Jesus on the white horse. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. You can imagine the smoke, the smoke rising up from the great, the great whore, rising up, the smoke forever and ever. And you say, where there's smoke, there's fire, better believe. Verse 20, and the beast was taken with the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them at the received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And that fire is from the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And you know what? It's not just the devil and the demons that are in that fire that are smoking. And it's smoking right now and it's getting ready. There's smoke. And if we don't fear God, we're going to find out what that smoke's all about. Because we're going to end up If we don't fear God, we're going to end up 
breathing that smoke day in and day out, the smoke of the fire of God, of hell. We're going to be breathing that smoke. Chapter 20, after the great white throne judgment, John says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There it is. It's ready. The lake is ready. It's burning. It's smoking. It's waiting for us. If we're not going to fear God, that lake is just waiting for us. And you know what it is to breathe smoke. You get a good breath of smoke. It doesn't do our lungs much good. And you try to get away from that smoke. In the lake of fire, that's going to be smoking day and night. You're going to be breathing smoke day and night. And you're going to be wishing you feared God rather than men. And the fear of God is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom. You know, so what do we do with the fear? Because fear can be paralyzing. We have to go beyond the fear and do something. And too many of us are scared. Well, okay, I fear God. What should I do next? I don't know. You know, I've got this big list of ten things I have to do. I have to check them off to repent. And that list, it's too long. I can't do it. You know what? To start, it only takes one thing. Forget the list. Forget trying to do things by works. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. This is the crux of the matter. This is the beginning. This is all you have to do to start out. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What do we need? Belief and faith. Start there. Belief and faith. And the Holy Spirit will take it from there. Confess. Confess what? Your sins? No, that's not going to save you. Confess that Lord Jesus is the Son of God, and that he was raised from the dead. That's what we need to confess and believe. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and rose from the dead. And the Holy Spirit will take it from there. Confess it to someone. For with the mouth that confession is made. Belief and faith is a step to take. Now you might say, well, okay, that's that step, but you know, they say there's all kinds of other things I have to do, and I can't do it, and I'm scared, and maybe I'll fail. You know what? We had this story in our Sunday, in our class here this last Monday about Peter walking on water. I think that's a good example. In chapter 14... We know the story. The apostles were out trying to sail across the Sea of Galilee. It was night, and they were really working at it. But the wind was against them. 
And they couldn't tack into the wind. They were just going backwards, not making any progress. So 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, they look out in the stormy sea and see something. And when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So the first response was fear. Whom shall we fear? Whom do we fear? Do we fear God? Good, that's the first step. Fear God. And then Jesus said, Don't worry, it's just me. And they had faith. So fear to faith. And Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Faith. To walk out into unknown territory, uncharted territory, out of the comfort zone. And walking on water, believe me, would be out of our comfort zone. So there goes Peter. We don't know how far he went. But then something happened that happens to all of us. We take our eyes off. Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And here's what we got to take to heart. Look what Jesus did. Look what it says. Matthew records. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Immediately, yes, we have fear, we have faith, we believe. But we fail, but God, with Jesus... We'll reach in there and grab us out again. That's what he's there for, to intercede for us. We don't have to be perfect little machines. No. We just have to believe and have faith. And if we fall and falter, you know, Jesus could have let Peter sink to the bottom and said, you know, Peter, that'll teach you a lesson. You took your eyes off me and you got what was coming to you. You're now a fish at the bottom of the sea. He could have said, that should teach you a lesson, Peter. But he didn't. Immediately, immediately he reached out and took him. And that's what he'll do for us if we trust him. Faith and belief and trust in Jesus to take us to eternity. Who should we fear? And who should we believe? And who do we fear? That's the question. And the answer should be the same. We do fear God and we should fear God. Right now, today. Today. Jesus is still the Jesus of John 3.16. He's still that Jesus. And he's saying, I'm still looking for you. I've got room in the mansion. Come on in. He's still that Jesus of John 3.16. But tomorrow, tomorrow may be different. Tomorrow, he may be the Jesus of Revelation 19. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe a year from now, we don't know. But there will be that change from John 3.16 to Revelation 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Do we want to get caught in that winepress? You know how the, the Jews did the wine in the Old New Testament? You got a nice flat spot carved out of the rock. You put the grapes on, you started trampling them till the juice came out. And can you imagine, if we're unsaved, and we have to meet the Jesus on the white horse, and he's going to take us, and he's going to press us, and he's going to squash us and squish us till our blood runs out, and there's nothing left of us. He's going to judge us because he's going to tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And what's left of us after we've been treaded upon by the Jesus of the white horse. What might be left will be enough for the birds to eat their fill. So do we want to risk it? Well, we can have the Jesus of John 3.16, that we should fail to take that and take the risk of meeting the rider on the white horse. Because at that time there won't be any mercy. And you'll be put in the wine press. And you'll be trodden upon. And you'll be fed to the birds. And after that, you'll be thrown in the lake of fire. So the question we have to ask now, where are we going to spend eternity? We've got two choices. We can spend it in the smoking section. Yes, we can spend eternity in the smoking section. And it won't be cigarettes that are burning. Or we can spend eternity in the non-smoking section. Spend eternity with the one we've learned to fear as our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. May God bless his word. May we find in our higher ground hymnals, hymn number 118, Room at the Cross for You. Let us sing all three verses. Hymn number 118.
stand to pray. We have been reminded again, O God, of the terrible importance of fearing him who has power to destroy the soul and not just the body. And we have been reminded from lessons from your word of what a terrible day it will be when the Lord visits his wrath upon this earth and against those who would dare stand against the king of the universe, the master of all that is, the creator of everything. It is our prayer, O God, that as we have gathered tonight in this place of worship, in the quietness separated and set apart from the world around us, to hear the word, to sing these hymns, to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the necessity of getting ourselves right with God. And we pray that as the word went forth powerfully this evening, Lord, that indeed we would know who is worthy of our fears, but even more so, who is worthy of our love and our adoration, but the Lord Jesus Christ, him who loved us first. He is the one. Lord, work in the hearts of those who do not know you yet. Work in the hearts of each man and woman, and yes, even the children here, that they would see the importance of yielding unto the living God and coming. Indeed, there is room at the cross for each one who desires to know him in a personal way. We give thanks for this time together, Lord. We give thanks for these hymns. We give thanks for all who have chosen to be a part of camp this week. And we would pray that for each one who has gathered, may their soul's desire be granted this week. And may you help those who call upon your name in truth and in sincerity. We ask it and pray it in our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> 